Hello and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Sam Peeps. Sam previously worked in elite football, since then has made the step into private practice where he still works with elite footballers to improve their physical performance, which makes him the perfect person today to discuss whether it really is that bad to keep doing physical performance training during the off-season. So without further ado, it's time to welcome Sam onto the show. So Sam, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thanks for having me on, Matt. Uh, it's great to be featuring on a, on a podcast that I've been following for so many years now. And um, yeah, like I said before, you guys are putting out some awesome content. Thank you very much, mate. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. So can you give us an introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Yes. So just to give you a little lay of the land. So firstly, I'm a strength and conditioning coach uh, by trade. I've been working in professional football for the last six years. Um, but prior to that, um, I actually tried to pursue a career in finance. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So, uh, yeah, no, post-grad, I, um, yeah, we're, my siblings are bankers. And so I, I assumed that that was the, the thing to do. But then, you know, one day I had the epiphany that, you know, I belong in football somewhere in some capacity. It definitely wasn't going to be playing at that age. So, um, you know, off I went, uh, did the further education, a uh, short stint at Luton whilst doing my dissertation and then, uh, and then on to Crystal Palace for a couple of years. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was five, six years ago now, um, working in the private sector with footballers of varying ages, um, starting with grassroots through to, to first team. Um, been, yeah, obviously trying to develop the, the, the one-to-one side of the business, but also uh, online coaching and, and mentoring of late. So you're a, you're a busy, busy man. Um, and we could, we could go into loads of detail about how you built all of that up and uh, I think the finance stuff. As an SNC coach, is super interesting, but we're not going to touch on that because otherwise it would be a, like a 10-hour discussion. <laughs> Could be here all day. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, but we're here to discuss how players use the off-season, right? So mm-hmm. obviously, as a private SNC coach, they come to you and um, they're like, right, I need to get fit for start of the season or fit for next season. I need to perform mm-hmm. optimally um, when the Premier League starts, when League One starts, whenever it might be. So mm-hmm. what does it actually look like for them? What, what, what does an off-season look like for these top players? So, firstly, it can, it can vary massively from one player to the next, um, depending on whether they've had a traditional end of the season, whether they've gone on to international break. Um, typically, a six-week period can be a little bit more, can be a little bit less. So, firstly, we have to, do, we have to identify what time frame we're dealing with here. Um, if we're going to use some periodization terminology, meso cycle that we have to work with, then that's broken down into their recuperator stage, which is they'll have at least two weeks. That can sometimes be a little bit longer. Um, this is also very, what I've experienced in the past, very loads dependent. If um, I'll give you an example. So a player I've been working with last season coming back from an ACL injury, um, very low loading, building into his off-season. Uh, the club and I decided that we wanted to continue, obviously, with his s with trying to get him back on the pitch in mind. Um, so, yeah, very, very specific to the individual. It can, it can vary. Um, but like I said, all of them have their, typically have the two-week period just to rest, recover, focus on some of the big rocks, sleep and nutrition, do zero football-specific work, <laughs> perhaps even just not even any, any CV work or S&C. Um, and then we sort of build into our reintegration stage, which it can be, two to four weeks it, it, like I said it really it really depends on the individual um, but this is when we then start to gradually reintegrate some of the biomotors we we use some of the 
the guidelines. Well, this is what I've done historically in the past. Use guidelines that clubs have provided to to reintegrate the work. Um, and then there's also this is where the players have a bit of free reign to to identify what they want to focus on. Um, you know, I use objective markers to figure out what we could improve on. I, I've had relationship with um, relationships with my players for a number of years now, so. You know, I have I have the data and stuff um, for when I am actually working with them. And what what kind of stuff should they then be working on, right? So you said um, you can vary that depending yeah. on what they what they need to work on. But because obviously in season they've got so much load, sure. What are the kind of things that you're looking at in the off season to to really make some progression on? So there's a reason why I put this number one. Um, so the, the number one aim of this process is from an injury prevention standpoint. Um, like it's it's really important to express that this period for them, okay, is all about them. They are the sole focus. It's not trying to be a hero, not trying to hit PBs on you know your deadlifts or whatever. It's trying to just add value to the process so that they can then go back into preseason with some level of tolerance, so they then break down. Um, you know, when I was working in professional football, it, I mean, it wasn't common, but it, it happened to a couple of players. You know, they come back in perhaps underprepared maybe carrying a little bit of extra weight. Um, can happen, can happen. <laughs> Everyone enjoys the holiday, months. right? <laughs> yeah. So, the, yeah. So the number one for me is is the injury, injury prevention uh, emphasis. Um, and then obviously that leads into them being prepared for um, the demands of pre-season. Um, there's also obviously the physical aspect side of it. A lot of the younger players, they come in, they want to train every day. So you're managing that expectation. Um, I had one guy sent me his plan over and it had doubles every day of the week off the back of doing some rather erratic work abroad which didn't look like it was managed that carefully uh, and I was like yeah no <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. we're not uh, doing that one but um yeah so a lot of a lot of the a lot of the younger guys I mean even some of the older boys but you know you you can't you can't really force the needle too much um especially with some of the first team players who've come off the back of such a heavy season. Uh, a number of players. I actually had one, one player who was uh, tendinopathy specific for the three weeks with me. I couldn't do any impact with work with him, any running. He had um, multiple tendinopathies, um, so it's just ISOs. Pretty <laughs> trying to get hit stronger in those particular areas. Um, so yeah, it's for me the first thing I do is I assess the state of the athlete. You know, we sit down, we have a long chat about. Now the season's gone, uh, where they are at the moment. And often, I'd say it's more of a trend of of late, off the back of last season, there were more leftovers, um, i.e. little niggles, tendinopathies, than, than I've experienced in the past. So, And why do you think that was? Uh, I, I'd be speculating here, but it, it could be load-specific. I mean, I'd, you know, there's, the records show that they are playing more and more... Um, you know, the speed of the game, the high press, all these sort of factors could influence that potentially. Um, yeah, when they're playing three games in 10 days, it's, it's very hard to, especially if you've got history in that department, to actually let that area recover. Um, yeah. yeah. And you mentioned earlier uh, the, the clubs, right? So I imagine as an external strength and conditioning coach, that can be quite tricky because you're not necessarily dictating everything that happens in season or with that club, sure, you're, yeah. you're kind of external mm -hmm. and you're hired mm -hmm. in by potentially the player or the agent, or whatever. Sure, sure. So, 
How does that relationship with the club work? I imagine it's probably different per club, but is that is that something that you have to manage as well? It is. I mean, it is different per club. Um, I'm not going to stand here and say, or sit here and say that I have uh, an open relationship with every player and club that I work with because I don't. This is where it has to tend to be relayed via the player to me um, with regards to what data I need or they can get their hands on. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I've heard stories from from friends and stuff that have had good relationships with clubs. Um, but it, yeah, it's, it's, it is a tricky one. Um, and it's, it's certainly an area that I feel, you know, c- could be improved if there wasn't this, you know, oh, this, this lack of governance or accountability in the off season, you know, these guys are doing what the hell they want. Um, you know, it'd be great if it was kind of more of a collaboration over competition or trying to, you know, mess up your multi-million pound players, which is what that recent article in the athletic did. <laughs> <laughs> well, with, with, with that in mind, right? Like, yeah. um, is, is this kind of training or does this kind of training have the potential to ruin people's seasons? So the, I think one of the points was like, mm. if you keep loading someone throughout the entire season, then mm. potentially later on in the year, they could have even more injuries or injury risks. So is, is that something which that culture of training all the way through mm-hmm. um, actually increases despite obviously the goal being to, to reduce it and increase performance? Yeah, I mean, I think this, you definitely got to look at both sides of this. I think yes and no. Um, I think that depends massively on on how it is integrated. Um, I think if, if a player isn't micromanaged correctly during that period and is, is doing too much and, you know, more often than not, players want to do more. Um, but there is that there is a massive difference between actually working um, working hard and working smart, um, and the whole. You know, I don't think it's it's helped by the no days off narrative and all that sort of stuff that um, was put up on social media by the new player at Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think I think you know just going back to our conversation earlier about you know, the, how things are portrayed on social media. Um, you know, you get the impression that someone is working constantly and you have zero um, insight into the dose, how much they're actually trained, the frequency, you know, all the, all the sort of the fundamentals and logistics that go around applying load into someone. But, but yeah, no, I, I definitely agree that it, it could be detrimental to a player if it's not handled correctly. Um, but like I said earlier, with regards to how we try and reintegrate things, um, you know, we, we don't try and do things irrationally. We're not trying to be a hero here, just trying to create some level of foundation or tolerance for the player for them when they go back into preseason. So if, if it is a risk, right, so it could potentially be negative, mm-hmm. how do you then, as a player, how do you then start to mitigate that risk, right? So you want to do the work, you want to make sure you mm-hmm. come back at a good level, mm-hmm. but there are risks involved with that. So how do you avoid getting into a situation where later down the line you are going to be in trouble? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, firstly, I think follow the guidelines that the football club give you. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully they do. Hopefully they you do. You can't go wrong with that. Yeah. There's, there's, always, there's always going to be some that will want to do a bit more and I think maybe some that will do a bit less. There'll be some that maybe more the experienced guys from what I've heard. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. They'll they'll do what they need to do. They might even rest a bit longer um, and then come back into things a bit later. Might make preseason a bit harder. But, <laughs> um, but um, yeah, once again, that can be very individual specific. But you know, if you are going to recruit someone someone external, perhaps consider someone who has experience working in the game with regards to uh, athlete preparation. 
um, before obviously um, deciding on where to where to spend your off season. That is. And is there like a criteria that athletes should be looking for when they are hiring someone? Because obviously there could be people on Instagram who post videos which look superb and it looks amazing, mm. but maybe that's not the most um, yeah useful type of training to be doing. So is, is there a kind of a recommendation or a guideline when they are looking for the, that kind of trainer? Yeah, I think, I think if you're going to choose someone based off uh, followings, likes, uh, that kind of thing on Instagram, I think that's a bit of a banana skin and a, certainly a slippery slope. Um, you know, so, someone who has experience in the game, um, like I said, and, and word of mouth is, is a powerful thing as well. Um, so often what I've found that players who I've worked with in the past you know they they tend to chat. The football is such a small world. Yeah. Um, and if you've if you know if you've got some buying from a player, you've done a good job with them, and they like you, um, they might put in a good word for you with someone else. Yeah. So yeah. basically, ask around a little bit. Make sure that <clears throat> even if they they produce amazing stuff on on social media, that it's potentially at least double checked that that's actually useful for you and, mm-hmm. and be fairly critical of the people that you're trusting your body with, right? Yeah, I think credentials go a long way as well. You know, someone who has, dare I say, sort of skin in the game has been, you know, obviously has qualified, done done the work and stuff. Um, I think it goes a long way as well. Excellent, excellent. So when it comes to actually doing this kind of training, right? So you're going to get that off-season. You mentioned earlier that you're going to potentially have some rest and you're going to build mm-hmm. up and, and work to potentially some benchmarks or some areas of, of weakness. Um, when it comes to individualizing that for the person, mm-hmm. does does an athlete need a super individualized off-season program or can they get away with a, a kind of general program and have that individualized later at the club? So like I like I touched on earlier, um, the first the first part of the process for me is 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 that evaluation of the player, the state injuries anything that we need to address there as part of the needs analysis of the sport and you know um red flags with regards to injuries and stuff we you know we, we do we touch on that and i do have specific protocol that i use for, for reintegrating hamstring loading um etc but um yeah so it's based on injury history um and then obviously the demands of the sport what do we need to to get out of them what areas do we need to cover um with regards to injuries uh, and then also from an ESD requirement, what, what are we trying to achieve there? Are we, you know, are we, are we, are we trying to sort of start to touch on the aerobic base side of things to begin with before then adding the high speed and then sprint work later on, which is in a fundamental part of the hamstring loading, um, building back into preseason. But uh, yeah, so in that sense, there, there are some generic elements to it, um, which don't need to be personal, which don't need to be individualized. Obviously, emphasis on, on injury history, yes. Um, but then from a position standpoint, if we're doing some technical work, which I won't be doing, <laughs> I'll, I'll pass that over to a, to a football coach. But yes, from a technical standpoint, there is certainly some positional specific work that you could do. And obviously then I, I imagine a goalkeeper, for example, probably doesn't need the, the hamstring work, which an outfield player would need. That kind of Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So goalkeeper, infield and outfield, obviously very different demands. Um, yeah. Goalkeeper would certainly have uh, a different emphasis to, to an outfield player um, with perhaps a little bit more emphasis on upper body work, um, that kind of stuff. And when it comes to like youth players, so mm-hmm. 
Uh, you mentioned earlier you work a lot with younger players as opposed as opposed to um, older players, although you still do work with uh, some older players. But like with that focus on youth, is that different compared to let's say a thirty-five-year-old who just needs to survive the next season? Like if you've got a, a an old guy who's like, I just need to eke out another year, maybe two years, compared mm-hmm. to a, an eighteen to twenty-year-old who really needs to push the boat. Is is that going to be different for them? Yeah, I mean, I th- once again, if, if we're talking the time frame that we, you know, we've agreed for the off season. Now, what what I have found is the younger players they do they do come in and they have different needs. Um, so it's kind of trying to match, you know, what they need with uh, the actual expectation. Um, if you look at or if you're um, assessing where they are with their long term athletic development, you know, some will perhaps need a bit more than others in certain areas. Um, some, if you say someone is physically less developed than say someone else then there might be a great opportunity there to to perhaps give them the, the bump that they need in whatever department it is um so i think you know once again it, it depends on the individual uh a younger player you might have a little bit more scope to, to sort of chip away at some of the physical characteristics needed for the sport and does that then differ with elite and sub elite as well because I can imagine for the for like let's say um, semi professional level and below, where mm. preseason is kind of like, well, I'll do it, but it's not necessarily my highest priority because mm-hmm. you know, friends, summer, maybe a beer or two. Sure. Um, is, is are there different demands then for the the sub elite compared to the elite? It's a good question. This one, it's. I mean, it's. I certainly don't. When it, when it comes to that that level, I certainly don't back off. Uh, yeah. With regards to obviously the SNC side of things and, and, and their weekly loading. Uh, I might give them a little bit more freedom to do other stuff, but that's actually for me because they have a, typically have a longer duration here. Mm-hmm. Some of them have eight to 10 week off seasons um, in some leagues. If we're going all the way down to grassroots for me, that's a great opportunity. Um, and, you know, some of my guys had a good sort of six week build in, sort of six to eight week build into their preseason uh, and I had 100% completion with a lot of those guys. And that's, we're talking, you know, guys who are playing like step six, step seven, summer grassroots, that kind of thing, um, which is pretty awesome because, you know, the, at the end of the day, although then, you know, this is where you have to maybe manage expectations a little bit. They might not make it as a pro, yeah, but they still want to progress. So, yeah. you know, you give them the infrastructure and the framework to progress. And if it means you have to go through, the necessary steps to ensure they don't break down when they go back into playing, then, you know, that's, that's kind of what we do. Yeah. And I mean, everyone, uh, most people at least who are regardless of level want to be competitive. Absolutely. Um, So if they want to be competitive, even at their, maybe at their technical tactical level, they can potentially Mm -hmm. make the physical level a little bit higher. And of Mm -hmm. course then improve their, their possibilities to play at a better level or to, to play at the same level with more effectiveness. Certainly. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And it's, you know, for, the, for those guys, although they don't have specific um, like team training, uh, a, a lot of them still do get involved with various different communities just so they've still got that emphasis and that team-based environment to allow some of the, the more technical side of things to, to develop. And is there any like technology or um, bits of tech that you think are, are important for those players? So obviously at the top level, they've got GPS devices, they've got everything's measured, athlete management yeah. systems. But what would you then advise the the sub elite guys to do in terms of um, picking up a, a piece of tech or um, yeah? I still, I still, I, I, I still insist on all my um, sub elite to have GPS. 
Um, yep. I send the okay. data through from uh, well, every after most supposed to be after every training session, but um, they seem to be better after games, but not all of them. <laughs> I can imagine I they're proud that, of the games, right? But after training, yeah, it's a little bit different. I think I think that's you know from a from a management standpoint, I think that's probably well, arguably the, you know one of the most valuable um, and perhaps most affordable in comparison to some of the uh, the bigger bits of kit you can get. And, and what do you then do with that data, right? So it's, it's workload management. Do you advise them on how to, to change things and adjust things? Yeah, so for me, it is certainly workload management. The, what I've found is they often with some of their team-based training, there's, there's not much structure to it. It's kind of like you do a bit of, you do a bit of small-sided work, some possession, and then, oh, let's just go and blitz you with 45 minutes of 11 aside kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, for me, it's just monitoring that, um, ensuring that you know they're not obviously having spikes anywhere or yeah, doing anything that's probably going to potentially predispose them. Cool, excellent, mate. So uh, yeah, I think that was a superb insight into exactly what the off season entails and how mm. you can avoid the the pitfalls of uh, potentially injuring yourself in season as well through too much work. Um, so massive thanks. It's been a pleasure. Where can where can people find more about you and what you do? So my Instagram handle is uh, Sam Peeps Performance and uh, website is sampeeps.com. And that's, that's where you'll find me. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you very much, buddy. It's been a pleasure. Cheers. Cool. Thanks for having me on, mate. Cheers. And that's it once again. A massive thanks to Sam for all of his hard work in today's podcast. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of our Coach Academy. Now, the Coach Academy is a series of lectures broken down to bite-sized chunks. So if you've enjoyed today's podcast and you want to find out some more about how you can improve physical performance in the pre-season or off-season, delve into that and you can do that completely for free using the link in the show notes. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, it would be great if you could recommend it to a coach, a colleague, a friend, or even an athlete. That means that we can keep bringing you the best possible guests and the best possible content. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.